Today's episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is brought to you by SeatGeek. That is our presenting sponsor, the easiest way to shop for the best tickets thanks to their revolutionary grading system. You can buy and sell tickets in just two taps on your phone. Everything fully guaranteed. Right now, you can buy $10 off baseball tickets the first time you use SeatGeek. All you have to do is use promo code BSMLB. Go to SeatGeek, download their app, or go to SeatGeek.com. Get some baseball tickets if it's your first time. BS MLB, $10 off. We're also brought to you by Sock Fancy, the perfect Father's Day gift. Gift your dad the joy of unique, awe-inspiring, and sometimes bizarre socks delivered every single month. Shipping is free all over the world. If you don't like the pair you get, send them back. Swap for a fresh design. Sign your loved one up for three months, six months, nine months, year-long subscription. Whatever you want, Sock Fancy will handle the rest. Get an extra pair of socks added to any subscription for free when you go to SockFancy.com slash BS and enter code BS at checkout. And finally, we're brought to you by Larry Wilmer's new pod, Black in the Air, and Against All Odds with Cousin Sal, our two newest podcasts. We have two more podcasts we're going to announce soon. I swear we're not going to have 70 podcasts. We're, we're, we're making all these choices carefully, but we have two more that we are going to announce uh, fairly soon. Stay tuned for those. If you missed the BS podcast yesterday, I had Brian Curtis on and Joe House, and we talked about a lot of basketball, Tiger Woods, and we talked about Frank DeFord, who passed away, one of my favorite writers this week. And uh, you can check that out in the archives. Right now we have Ice Cube coming up, and I'm going to give you my NBA Finals pick. First, Pearl Jam. Welcome to the podcast. If uh, if you're waiting for Ice Cube, he's coming. We taped it yesterday, actually. Um, I wanted to put my NBA Finals prediction down once and for all. I've looked at it from every angle. Tate's here with me. What's up, Tate? Hey. Uh, I've looked at it from every angle. This is the appetizer to the to the Ice Cube dinner entree of a podcast, which was fantastic. I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. But uh, initially, I thought Warriors in five. I did not like the way the Cavs defended my Celtics team mm. that uh, had wide open shots the entire series and yes, most of them. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a bad sign for the Cavs. Then the backlash started with, well, wait, Cleveland has a chance. Everyone's counting them out. And that whole thing, I got a little caught up in that. Yep. And now I think I'm in the right place. Golden State in six. <laughs> Just bumped it up one game. I bumped it up one game. So we're 2015 finals. That's where we are. Six games yeah. and win six. I figure LeBron's worth one Mm -hmm. and Kyrie's worth one. Yep. LeBron will be awesome in another game that they won't win. My question is, but debating between six or seven, will Mike Brown cost the Warriors a game in this series? But I don't, I, I think these teams know each other so well and there's a predictability as good as they are with what's going to happen. There's not, it's not like Mike Brown is going to be like, Oh my God, I never expected this. The Cavs have seven players who are going to play in this series, maybe eight. Mm -hmm. They, they are very specific about what they do and how they handle their business. And I'm not positive. There's going to be a massive 
Can you, can you, what would possibly happen in this series that would be like, wow, it's too bad Steve Kerr wasn't there. Mike Brown couldn't handle it. I think the only thing that you have to worry about is if someone like a Steph or a Kevin Durant, like if it gets two of them, like the insecurity of the moment gets them again. I don't think, I think Steph had the insecurity happen to him last year when he really got in his head. Durant's back for the first time. He was step. hurt too. Yeah, and he was hurt. But if you have one of those moments, I think that's when Kerr really steps in. Right. And that's the only thing that I could see. So my counter to that was they fell apart in the fourth quarter of Game 7 last year. And they and had Steve was Kerr there. and yeah. he was there. I see what you're saying, though. The, so the Steve Kerr and Mike Brown difference, I don't think it's a strategy thing. I think it. I agree with you on it. it's a settle down guys thing. And I really think it's a it's even more, more so a Draymond thing. Mm-hmm. Because I'm sure the Cavs are going to try to provoke J- Draymond this entire series. Yes. This is part of their game plan. Get him talking. Get technicals. Get him to do something dumb. Talk, talk, talk. Hit him. Bump him. Elbow him. Get in his face. Try to get him out of his game. Did you think last year like Draymond had to... He was trying to show that he was tough and the Warriors were tough. And now... He's not going to do that as much. I feel like they don't. What's the point? The whole team has to prove they're tough, right? I feel like Draymond took it on himself. It was an onus on himself to Especially show that after they, Bogut left. Yeah, yeah, he was like, I have to be the tough guy. I have to stay tough in this series. Yeah, and that bit him in the ass last year. Right, and now Steph has to show he's tough. Clay has to show he's tough. Durant has to prove that he's worthy of being on this stage again. Like all that toughness has to come from from elsewhere. But then heard, again, it's Draymond, so who knows? He can, I've heard that Durant point made. Do, are we sure Durant has to prove anything in this series? Not in my opinion, no. I just feel like he's he won the MVP. He made the finals when he was like twenty three. Yeah, he seems very content with. He his had life. really bad luck. <laughs> yeah, he's on a he's on one of the great teams ever. I I would love to pick sixteen and zero. I think that would have been so much fun to root for, especially if they win the first two. But uh, I think Kyrie is great. Mm. He killed my team. Yep. I think we were going to win game four, as crazy as that sounds. Not even playing that well when LeBron got the fourth foul. And Kyrie was just like, I'm I'm going to score all the time, over and over and over again. And I'm going to make really hard shots, even though you're playing defense. It looked like from the Olympics this summer. That yeah. was a, The scary thing about Kyrie was they won the title, he hits the big shot, and they go to the Olympics, and it was like, oh, this guy is like the best scorer on Team USA right now. And he's like kept it up all right. year. So... They don't really have anyone to guard him, which is a problem. Yep. I don't think that LeBron's unguardable when he wants to be. So you're talking about two guys in another team who can't be guarded. And then there there's certain guys that the Warriors have that just aren't going to play in the series. They're mm-hmm. not going to be able to play Zaza. Yep. They're not going to be able to play JaVale McGee. I don't think they're going to be able to play David West. I mm-hmm. think they're going to have to play like seven guys. So who's the one that guards Tristan Thompson? Is it Draymond? That's most the likely? thing. It's like, yeah. well, all right. So they put Zaza on Tristan Thompson. LeBron calls him over and just runs screens so he can get he can get one on one with Zaza. So then what do you do? He, well, he dunks on Zaza. Yeah. So <laughs> it's like at any point if Zaza or David West or Javale is out there, they're just gonna they they always know they can run that screen and roll. Mm-hmm. So on the flip side, the Warriors have the same thing. They're gonna put Love in screen and roll all the time. So. If if Zaza's in there, then Kevin Love can guard Zaza. Yep. And that maybe not get caught up in that. But if they put when they put the Durant, Draymond, Clay, Curry, and let's say Iguodala is the fifth guy, where's Kevin Love going? Whoever he's guarding, they're gonna put in screen roll. So it's gonna be I think it's gonna be the most complicated strategy matchup we've had from uh oh, you're doing this, I'm doing this. Oh, you're gonna do oh, then I'll do this. Which and which- neither team has the answer. 
so those in-game situations with Mike Brown, that's what I want to see how much he changes. Because Kerr's traveling with the team. He's going to be making game plans. and going to be like, if LeBron's going to guard Clay or LeBron's going to guard Iguodala to try to hide on defense, we need to get him in these switches and stuff. Right. How much does Mike Brown have say in making those changes in-game? Well, it, and also, it, like, yeah, it's like a chess match. What happens if the Cavs say we're leaving Iguodala open the whole series? Exactly. Not, they, knock yourself out. Mm-hmm. Shoot 10 threes a game. We'll, get, we'll give them to you. You'll make three. Yeah. So then that's where you want Steve Kerr to be like, oh, okay, you're going to do that. Then I'm going to have Iguodala run in the baseline mm-hmm. and trying to get layups and going back there. They have so much movement. And that I think the most encouraging thing for the Warriors is all the easy shots the Celtics are able to get just by moving versus playing one. And the Cavs are going to slow it down. They're going to try to get into, you know, first of all, if if they make shots or they get an offensive rebound and put them in, then the Warriors can't go on the other end. Yep. Which so, is Tristan Thompson. Yeah. If, if Tristan Thompson dominates the he's boards. He's got to dominate. Yeah. Then that's a whole different situation. I think the matchups are really nice for the Cavs. I just don't think defensively they're going to be able to get stops. If they Love is going to have to play for them to win. And Love and Thompson together, I, there's too many shooters, and they're, they're not going to be able to run out in time. I watched it in the Celtics series. Do you think Durant ever matches up and just says, I want to guard LeBron? Do you I think, think he's going to have to. Yeah. Because well, obviously 2015, that's why Iguodala wins the MVP is because he guard, guards LeBron. Last year, he seemed like he was a little short, obviously maybe a little bit banged up. He doesn't guard LeBron as well. LeBron takes over. This year, they have like, a, instead of Harrison Barnes being the fallback guy, now they have Durant to come over to guard LeBron. And if it's LeBron Durant, that's a whole different, I mean, that's, that's Well, incredible. think about it. If, if he can play LeBron to a standstill, Mm-hmm. He's gonna win the MVP. Yep. That's how good LeBron is. Yes. It's like Durant played him to a draw. Here's your MVP trophy. Yeah, you already had the blueprint. Like Iguodala, yeah. just by playing defense, he didn't have to. I mean, he hit some big threes and stuff, but just by playing defense on LeBron, they're like, oh, you stopped the best player in the series. You're the MVP. But if he guards LeBron, LeBron's gonna try to get into foul trouble the whole time. Mm-hmm. And so that's to, the danger. And then you worry about his offense lacking. If Clay doesn't step up, does uh, what I mean is Durant. Like the ego of Durant being like, I want to stop LeBron, where he has to work hard on defense. Then he loses it on offense. Clay doesn't step up, and then you get back into the Curry has to carry this team. And then we get to oh well, the Warriors are shorthanded. <laughs> They're having to rely on Ian Clark. They have to rely yeah. on all these other guys. So if 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 KD guards LeBron, Curry's on Kyrie, mm-hmm. which would not be ideal. You'd probably want to put Ky- Clay on Kyrie. Yeah. And then they switch so that Clay's on LeBron and Durant's on Kyrie. That's a problem for Durant Mm -hmm. because Kyrie will be able to stutter step and shoot over him. Yep. That's why I think this is going to be a long series and the rest is really going to help them. Yeah. I went from thinking Warriors and five, Warriors and five, Warriors and five. Then I looked at the schedule. They have a great shot to win game one. Mm -hmm. You know, perfect situation for them. Um, LeBron with all this rest. Warriors miss a couple shots. You're going to have a crowd that's going to be not your typical Warriors crowd. A lot of, a lot of big wig dudes. A lot of people are just there to be there. It's in their head too. They lost Game Seven, and they home. lost Game Seven. Uh, and Kyrie's going to go into the series thinking he's better than Curry. Yeah. So you have the best two players in the Cavs think they're better than anyone. The Warriors, which is a problem. Mm-hmm. That's not. This is not like oh shit, we're playing the Warriors. They're gonna they're gonna go at them. They're gonna be throwing swings. I just think the Warriors have real shooting matchups in their favor. Mm-hmm. That they'll be able to get good shots anytime they want. And that will put an incredible amount of pressure on the Warriors to just match the scoring. Yeah. Which, you know, the the Celtics' biggest problem was 
when they when they protected the three point line, then the Cavs could drive by them and they had no rim protection. They basically out Horford and that's it. But usually it was Olinick and Yeah. So the Warriors have have Draymond, who's the best defensive player in the league, other than Kawhi, and Durant too. Mm-hmm. So I do. Th- I hate to say this, but I think foul trouble is going to determine some of this stuff. Durant getting stupid fouls. But my pick is: I think the Cavs and I think the Warriors win in six. And I think KD is the most logical finals. He's the best odds, but I think he's the most logical pick because defensively, they have nobody to guard him. Mm-hmm. It's not Tristan Thompson. It's not Kevin Love. It has to be LeBron. Yep. They'll probably put Shumpert on him, but that means Shumpert now has to play. Which so is, he's out there either for Kevin Love or Jared Smith. Yeah. yeah. So now he now you can leave him open. You can't screen with him at all. And uh, I don't know. It's a chess match. It's going to be a great series. And the playoffs were really awful. I did not enjoy them. But now it's going to pay off with some really good games that are almost going to play out like football games. Yeah. Like definitely. how we're like, oh, the Patriots against Atlanta. How are they going to? It reminds me of that. It's going to be fun. I, I'm just worried if Durant does get the finals MVP – the free agency of Stephen Curry is going to be very fun. Oh, you're saying this as a Charlotte fan? No, no, no. I'm just saying in general the fact that now we have two title, two finals wins for the Warriors in three years. Iguodala wins in 15 by guarding LeBron when LeBron goes crazy. Yeah. 2017 Durant wins. Then where does Curry, you know? I think Steph's he... going to be great in this series. I, he's been unbelievable in the playoffs. That's what's, It's been sort of strange how under the radar it's been. He and LeBron have both been the two best players in the playoffs so far. Yeah. You know what is a fun Warriors wrinkle and why I do think Zaza will play and David West will play, they'll find spots for them, is they're going to hit the shit out of LeBron. Oh, yeah. And they will knock down Kyrie. They, you know, the most frustrating thing for me as a Celtics fan in that last series was just they they had too much respect for those guys and they didn't treat them like it was a playoff series. Except for Jarebko. He was the, he only, was the one. only one. <laughs> he was the only one that the did Swedish not care. The Swedish Larry Bird was the <laughs> only one who was totally undaunted. But you got to hit those guys, man. And... The problem for the Warriors is Draymond and Durant. You can't waste a fouls on that, but you can waste a fouls with JaVale McGee and your boy the Rev, James mm-hmm. McAdoo. Yep. And you can spend 24 fouls just nailing people every time they come come into the paint. So it's not a bad idea to do that. I also think the LeBron free throw thing will be yeah, that's- a fun subplot if they decide to just really start getting physical with him and trying to make him shoot 20 free throws in a game. If they do the hack-a-shack with LeBron and they hack LeBron and send him to the line, that will be so interesting because then it comes into, that's an isolated experience and people are going to remember him missing free throws if that's what they try to do. And they want, I mean, the Warriors got embarrassed last year by LeBron and I know that they want to do something to make him a focal point of some sort of embarrassment. So if he's missing free throws and they know that, yeah. And Mike Brown knows that. It won't be hack-a-shack, but it'll be every time he has a layup or a dunk, you foul him instead of giving him the layup and see or what dunk. He's shooting 71% yeah, in the playoffs. Just hit him every time. Yeah. Because we know he's scoring on a layup or dunk, but he might be a 65% shooter in these playoffs, and that flips it. And they're going to have the fouls because there's going to be six guys who matter. Seven. Seven? Yeah. Six. Eh, six, seven. The big four plus Iggy plus Livingston. Yeah. That's six. Yeah. And then the four guys with 24 fouls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and those guys have to just hit the shit out of. And Kyrie is another one that I, I don't feel like gets knocked down enough. I'm not advocating violence. I'm just saying like the guy goes to the rim really hard. Hit him. Yeah. Make him pay. Try to block it. If you don't block it, knock him down. Mm-hmm. He'll get up. 
Make yeah. the free throws. Yeah. Keep getting up. Yeah. Uh, I, the Celtics did not do that, unfortunately. So, what do you? What's your pick? I I think it's going to go seven, just because of. I, I don't feel like there's any way after the rest of the playoffs they don't want. I think that fouls. You're going to see a differential in some of these games where they game to they, game. Yeah, they, they yeah. get them back into these games. I think it goes seven. I think the Warriors will get redemption at home in in game seven. But it is weird that both years whether we've had these two teams that the the away team is one. You know, not yeah. in their hometown. So we've never even seen a team win the championship with their home crowd there. And that's. That's my fear with uh, if it goes to seven, if I'm a Warriors fan, is that it's a Cavs team coming in that has already won a game seven, which yes. does not happen. Yes. It's the hardest thing in the planet to do is win a game seven of the finals in the NBA. You can do it in hockey. You can do it in baseball, football, it's neutral. But in basketball, it just doesn't happen. The home team almost always wins. Uh, I, I'm trying to think if there's any other X factor for me. I th- I think personally, I think Pat McCall is a big X factor for the Warriors. If they just Ooh. have like a little scoring binge where he just got, he has like the Kyrie mentality where he looks very unbothered by any moment. So yeah. if he just were to come in and hit three or four big threes and you're just like, oh, Pat McCall had 15 points last night. See, and, Tate, and, this is your rookie and inexperience coming in. <laughs> <laughs> Pat McCall's not going to have an impact. <laughs> He's going to be terrified this entire finals. <laughs> I know it seems fine now, but. When you get when you get to the finals, <laughs> it is like big balls time. Yeah, it is like Pulling have I table. been here before? Yeah. I, I, I just think it's going to come down to like thir- I think every game is going to feel like a game seven because usually in the in the finals you have these peaks and then you have the game where like the young guys come in for the Warriors. I don't think this series is going to be like that. I think it's going to be each one's going to be like a game seven. Yeah, which I don't really remember. In recent memory, anyway, a, a basketball series being like that, they always have little ebbs and flows. I'm sure Cleveland will toss away a game. There's going to be a game where Golden State's just 22 for 38 from three, and Cleveland realizes late in the third quarter they're not coming back, and they'll turn the Jets off. I also see like the garbage time. Say Warriors are up by a lot, and it's a third quarter, and they still have Steph and Draymond and those guys in. And if Cleveland's down, like Dante Jones comes in, Richard oh, yeah. Jefferson comes in. Dante and those, Jones is out for blood. And those guys are in yeah. there to strictly try to get a technical, try to get someone ejected, try to try to get something to happen that'll shake the series up. So that was watch, rewatching Game 7. I was fascinated that Jefferson was out there for so many big minutes because he's not the same guy this year. Yeah. So And they haven't really. It's not like they replaced him with anybody different anyway i'm excited i'm going to game one nice i uh i will be back in time friday for a uh a recap and we'll be doing a podcast on that but perfect um i'm excited for game one me too i am excited for all the games and my pick is the warriors in six so anyway we had ice cube on as promised he's coming up first if you're like me and you're not so great at planning ahead i've got good news for you there's an awesome app called hotel tonight that helps you find amazing hotel deals at the last minute. Unlike flights, hotel rates usually get cheaper at the last minute. Hotel Tonight helps hotels sell their unsold rooms, allowing them to pass those deals along to you. Not for last resort places, but cool, top-rated hotels. Hotel Tonight has over 15,000 awesome partner hotels in 36 countries, perfect for a spontaneous getaway or a trip you've wanted for a while, like Tate's fancy pants Napa trip last weekend. Like if your favorite sports team, I don't know, made the NBA finals, maybe you wanted to zoom in to Cleveland or Oakland for one of these games. There you go. Hotel tonight. The app's name 
Hotel Tonight. You can book up to a week in advance. All it takes is 10 seconds, three taps, and a swipe. Get in on those killer last-minute deals. Download the Hotel app, Hotel Tonight app right now. And as promised, here he is, Ice Cube. What a pleasure. Here with Ice Cube. Yay, yay. We actually sort of worked together a while ago on 30 for 30. You were in the first series. Mm-hmm. I remember being uh, blown away that we got you to be involved with one of them. It was about the Raiders. Yeah. And their time in L.A. And who knew when we were doing that one, what was that, six, seven years ago, that the yeah. Raiders would be in this odyssey? Now they're in Vegas. Were you, re- you must have been rooting for them to come back, right? Definitely. You know, I felt like it was a perfect fit. And everything was going right, you know? Yeah. You know, it was like, the Chargers are coming, which, eh. <laughs> But the Raiders coming. <laughs> and Carson, they back. We got them. Um, you move Chargers to the NFC. Yeah, get rid of the Chargers. You, you bring the Seahawks back to the AFC. And we got us a nice little... Family there, you know. We might even, you know, start rooting for the Chargers if they wasn't in the AFC in the same building. But wasn't all that money come in (laughs) from St. Louis and the Rams, and it kind of threw a monkey wrench in my dream of having the Raiders back. Well, then it seemed like there might be a chance where the Rams build the stadium. They needed the second tenant. Yeah. Then I was like, well, why wouldn't it be the Raiders? And then, you know, I hate to bring up race two minutes into the podcast, but it really did seem like they were afraid of having Raider fans in that stadium. Because I can't think of another reason why you would pick the Chargers over the Raiders. Well, you don't want to build a you don't want to build a stadium, and your tenant is more popular than yeah that too. Than, you know, so there was I so felt many like OG Raider fans. Of, yo, we don't want to compete. We build a new stadium for our team, and we don't want to compete for the love of the fans. And you said, "Where they bring the Chargers in, they're not going to have to compete with any Chargers fans." All with the nobody. San Diego fans like, "Take them, we're done. Get them out." San Diego's, I don't think they're coming to to Inglewood, and and I I I, I believe the Orange County fans are definitely not coming to Inglewood. <laughs> so I don't know what they was thinking with this one. I don't it's it really does seem like they've created this situation where the fans are gonna be the other team's fans. Like, oh the yeah. Bears are playing the Chargers and Carson. Yeah. Thirty thousand Bears fans. Chargers fans selling their tickets on the secondary market. Yeah. And that's where we're headed. And it's when the a, by the mess. way, when the Raiders play there, oh I my promise God. you there's gonna be all Raiders fans in that game. Yeah. I mean, you know, they're gonna feel like even when they play in Inglewood, they're gonna feel like the visiting team in their own stadium. Yeah. It's kind of weird. So you, you were saying before we started that you thought that that 30 for 30 that we did in a roundabout way kind of paved the way for maybe the movie happening, which is fantastic yeah. and is on HBO all the time. Yeah, without a doubt. You know, <laughs> it's it was a good thing. You know, what happened was it was just a, a, a influx of interest. You yeah. Know, you know, with... You know, not only with the 30 for 30, which was, you know, a whole new, you know, history that people really didn't 
realize, you know. So yeah. it was it was always there, but but before we did the thirty for thirty, you know, straight out of L.A., people didn't realize that the true intersection of sports and music with N.W.A. and the Raiders. So you know, at the same time, uh, VH1 did the world's most dangerous group, and then they did behind the music on me and Dre, and it just was this influx of interest and when people saw those documentaries put together you know they were more you know i guess open to see a movie yeah of this caliber because they knew it had all the ingredients to be a great movie if we did it right it was the 30 for 30 of uh, and i liked a lot of the ones we did with the first series but we you know we did a lot of it on the fly and a lot of it you're grabbing filmmakers and we're trying to get to 30 we're trying to match topics and filmmakers all this stuff and you don't really know what we're going to get and i think i remember seeing a rough cut of of yours and thinking this is what the series is because it was it was a story that was a story but it wasn't like the biggest story ever but it was a story that mattered mm-hmm. we were kind of making people go Oh, I remember that. Yep. But then also going, oh, I didn't realize that. Yep. And if you do the, I, I, I remember that cross with the, oh, I didn't realize that. And it felt relevant in the moment too, because it was like perfect. It was hitting all these different things. And then we had you as the ambassador for it. And I was like, this is, this is a blueprint of something yeah, beyond man. what we anticipated. Man, I'm extremely proud of Straight Out LA. It's a good one. It holds up. Yeah, without a doubt. And, you know, when you, in entertainment, you know, you start off in music and you move to being an actor and then you say, hey, I want to produce something or yeah. I want to write something or I want to. You never know when you're stepping out of bounds. You never know when you've bitten off more than you can chew until some people tell you that suck. You know what right. I mean? <laughs> you realize, you know, I'm not that good at that. Yeah. But, you know, so, you know, diving into a documentary style film you know, was, you know, new territory in a lot of ways for me. You know, we had done a a series called Black White for FX, which it was a reality show where, you know, uh, we we took a a white family and put them in with a black family to live together. But the white family, we put in makeup and made them black. And the black family, we put in makeup and made them white and had them go out into the community and basically talk about their experiences. Yeah. You know, and um, so that was the only little thing we had done diving into, you know, uh, documentary type filmmaking. So to be able to dive into sports, to be able to dive into the Raiders at that time was a dream come true for me because, you know, I get to interview Howie Long and I get to, you know, have interaction with some of these guys who I, you know, were my heroes growing up. So it was, it was kind of cool to, to be able to do that. And you had, it also, that team intersected with video games because Bo Jackson was the greatest yeah. video game character who's ever lived Tech in Mobile. Tech Mobile. Yeah. Then you had uh, all the merchandise and stuff. I really do feel like that was the first team where it just seemed like everyone wore their hats, but this was the hats, the jackets, the gear. Yeah. You guys, your group pushed that to a whole other level, and then that became the model for the next 25 years of people wearing sports paraphernalia. In in a lot of ways, yeah, because we would go to other cities, you know, 
we'd be in Cincinnati, we'd be in, you know, Houston, and we'd go to buy Raider gear thinking, oh, they, they're probably buying Bengals gear here. Yeah. They probably got all the Oils gear sewed up. We'll be able to go get a Raider hat, something. No. All the Raider gear is gone. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody else team stuff is up there. So yeah. we knew. And then we go to the show that night, see the whole crowd in Raider gear. And we knew that this was a phenomenon that was happening that had little to do with with football on the field. How much of that was luck? A lot. Okay. I mean, you know, the Raiders even moving to L.A. in 83, you know, to 94. So that's the NWA sweet spot in a lot of ways because we come around, we start hitting it 87, 88. You know, by 89, we got our whole flavor on what we going to be, look like, do, how how it's all going to come out. And so the Raiders being here was a big, you know, was a big part of that because it helped cement our image in a lot of ways. You know, running around in purple and gold, or running around in, you know, Dodger blue. Right. Don't really convey, you know, the music we were trying to convey to the world. So the silver and black, you know, um, that patch, you know, the the, the imagery. Plus they're, perfect. They're the pirates. Raiders yeah. were pirates. And they were winners. Kind of that. And the they time. won. Yeah. You know what I mean? They, they won the Super Bowl and, uh, you know, had marquee players. So it was, uh, you know, it was it was perfect timing for us. We ran a piece on the Ringer about the Raiders from somebody who worked for them as their GM for years and years, Mike Lombardi, and he was saying how Al Davis didn't even care what the first name of the team was because to him it was just the Raiders, mm-hmm. and yeah. it was like it didn't really matter. And that, now they're the Vegas Raiders. It was like doesn't matter. The Raiders were the thing. It's so strange that they were in LA though, having, I've lived in LA now for 15 years, Mm -hmm. like the Raiders and everything there. And then just compared to like the Dodgers and the Lakers, as you said, like the purple and Dodger stadium and the blue. And then you have this Raiders come in. That's one of the reasons I love the documentary so much. Yeah. It was like outcasts without a doubt. And if you go into the Coliseum, you know, it's feel like a street game. It feel like, you know, black top tackle, you know what I'm saying? So, I think, you know, them being right there, you know, in the Coliseum, you know, because the Coliseum is basically, you know, kissing the hood. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like, you know, it's, it's the Coliseum. You step across the street, you're in the hood. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, to me, it was it was the element of L.A. that people don't want to look at and don't want to acknowledge most of the time, you know, people just want to acknowledge, you know, bikinis and beach and, you know. Randy Newman, I love fun. L.A. Yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> and that's cool. You know, that is L.A., but L.A. has a, a underbelly, you know, that people, you know, now know more about than they did back then. Um, but it's still a part of L.A. that people don't want to, you don't want to, you know, well, I'll tell shake you- up. I'll tell you from my end, because I grew up in Boston, and especially when the 84 finals and all that stuff, yeah. and we were like, we're the tough guys. These LA guys, they're the pussies. Yeah. They're like, they're out and they're in the beach, and they play soft, and we're physical, mm-hmm. and we beat them in 84 because we were tougher. Mm-hmm. And well, we, we had no idea about the side that you just talked about. 
Well, I mean, in 84, you guys were a tougher team. Yeah, you know, we had the big was, clothesline. Yeah, you guys that had. It. And when looking back, the, the Lakers at the time got caught up in that. Yeah, and, totally. And didn't play, and they was worried about being tough. But by F- 85, but by 85, the Lakers was a little tougher. They were and, ready. And they were ready for the challenge to be able to be tough and play and keep that composure. Um the Magic got tough. The 84 finals was the best thing that happened to Magic. That yeah, pushed I think him to so another too. level. Made him, you know. It, put, it made him, it gave him a dark side that I think he needed. Yeah, even though that finals, like, hurt me more than, it hurt me more than losing to Boston and, you know, this last updated, you know, Kobe versus oh, no, wait. Yeah, yeah. the big three. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that 84 was painful, man. It was painful. And now they're talking about this finals that we have now, whether this is the most star-studded finals ever because there's seven all-stars on the Cavs and Warriors. I still feel like that 84, 85, 87 with the characters that we had with Magic Bird and Kareem, three of the top six ever. Yeah. Worthy, McHale, Dennis Johnson, Michael Cooper. It just feels – Pat Riley is the coach. Like It just feels like – I think they were – it was more star-studded back then is my point. It felt like it. Yeah, you know, it, it felt, felt like more of a big deal. Yeah, you know, and probably because you know that was, you know, you know when ESPN wasn't like all over the place, and yeah. you know all these other networks that you know bring sports to you, you know more probably more than you would want. Yeah, but you know back then it was kind of laser focused on those series. Now. You know, it feels like a, a a manufactured, you know, a manufactured fight instead of it's a of business a, arrangement between people who carefully pick their teams. Seems like it, yeah. And back back then, it just seemed like, hey man, these are the cards you dealt. You gotta play with the cards you dealt, right? And if you can win with the cards you dealt, you're a bad boy. You know what I'm saying? So, um. It's a little strange nowadays, you know, when you see, you know, players, you know, really, you know, having the league kind of, you know, by the ball, so to speak. You know, they can kind of go make a super team, whether when, the fans want it or not. When did you guys get big enough that you started going to Laker games with good seats? Um, I started going like around the time they got Shaq, like a little oh, before, so a little after. before they got Shaq. So no, not, no, but not, actually before that. Not late 80s? No, no, early 90s. I, I was in that, I was in, you know, I was in, I, you know, I saw Jordan in the 91 finals, you know. I had great seats. And right. It was just seeing him up close, you know, and just like not believing this guy's going to be able to demolish our team. Yeah, remember in 91, it was like Jordan can't win the big one. Yeah, it was. Jordan, once it goes to, once and he's Lakers in the finals, won he won. Yeah. Lakers won game one, and then, you know, I put my feet up, you know. I might have lost a lot of money in the Lakers that series. It was Man. one of my first game, one of my first really bad gambling losses. <laughs> I lost a lot of pride. Yeah. You know, I had to, you know, give it up to Mike. You know, at the time, you don't want to be a fan of Mike, you know. You want to, we got Magic, you know, we got Kareem. You know? Yeah. We got teams who got rings. This dude don't even have a ring. Right. You know, and to see him ascend to greatness through all of these 
you know, foes. It was kind of like, you know, you know, seeing like <laughs> Batman destroy his enemies one by one. You know, it was crazy. Right. <laughs> did, did you follow uh, the, the 25th anniversary of Rodney King, all that stuff? There was documentaries and magazine pieces like six, seven weeks ago. And it was uh, it was in this news cycle for about yeah. a week. Were you following that? Not really. You know. That stuff kind of it is it's nauseating, you know what I mean? Yeah. It kind of it it makes me feel messed up inside, you know what I'm saying? So I don't really need to relive all that stuff. Right. I kind of hate the fact that you know some some news channels just rehash a lot of mess for nothing. Yeah. Yeah. What What do you remember about those three days? Cause I I didn't move to LA until 2002, and when I was here, when I got here, it was like you'd had the riots, yeah. you'd had the earthquake, OJ, mm-hmm. and it was like this four year span of just craziness, and yeah. people were still settling down from it. Eight years later, mad. what do you remember that? Just mad, you know. I just remember being pissed off about everything, and um, you know, the only good thing I saw come out of it was. The peace treaty between the Crips and the Bloods, you know, mm. that was, you know, a beautiful thing. That was like what I hang my hat on when it comes to the riots is the peace treaty, um, seeing, you know, a park full of Bloods and Crips settling their differences. And, you know, you got casualties on each side. You know, they, they have just had Memorial Day. We need a Memorial Day for you know the hood soldiers and the and the ghetto vets that's out there, but you know just seeing guys coming together and trying to work together, trying to figure it out, trying to unite. Um, that was the most beautiful thing out of out of the whole riots. Did you get involved in that at all? Um, to a certain extent, you know. Um, at the time. You know, I was always looking for a way to expand it, you know, to figure out a way to to take it just from off of park, out of parks, this, that, and the other, and bring it to the streets or to the public. Uh, so it helped us form West Side Connection, which was a group where it was me, Dub C, and Mac 10. Me and Dub C, we grew up on the crypt side of LA and and Mac 10 grew up on the blood side of LA. So having us doing records together really did a lot for the spirit of the truce and for the spirit of, of trying to bury the hatchets and, and understand that we all together. Um, and you know, to me, it, it, it did a lot for that because to this day you still have, I still know Crips and Bloods that kick it together, low ride together, hang out, motorcycle, you know, just from that truce, they never broke the bond again. And that's cool because, you know, it's, you know, it's a lot of divisiveness that's going on in L.A. And so I always think back to that time. You were involved. I, I would say the three things that would bring everybody together in that situation would be music, movies, sports, right? Mm-hmm. 
So your music, as it's as you guys are ascending from eighty seven, eighty eight, eighty nine, it didn't matter where you're from. Everybody was into it, right? Yeah. Well, you know, or were as, there people still holding out? It was still people holding out. I think until eighty nine. I took. Yeah. I think until the Straight Outta Compton album hit. You know, and then it was just kind of everybody's in at that point. Yeah, because it was so many things to set you up for that. You know, and the world was ready for it. It was perfect timing. Because it was, you know, it was right after, like, you know, Boogie Down Productions and Public Enemy and yep. Ice-T. And these guys had teed up, you know, us for success. And you were tapping into stuff that even though everybody in LA knew about it, I don't think everybody knew about it. And it wasn't yeah. really until the Rodney King and even the stuff Daryl Gates was doing the two, three years before that, like living in new England, I didn't know what was going on. Yeah. And that's why we didn't think we were going to ever, you know, be, you know, in the rock and roll hall of fame one day, right. you know, it was because we felt like this was something we were living in LA and the people in L.A. didn't even want to know about it. So yeah. we felt like we didn't have a chance with people, you know, as far as Boston, you know what I mean, as far as New York. We felt like these dudes would never understand what we're going through and never even care because people here don't care. So by seeing it blow up and, you know, one day they called me and said, hey, man, we got a show in Chicago. I'm like, what? How do they know about our record in Chicago? got a show regal theater you know and it was cool to start to see the music spread like a wildfire and go you know first we was doing shows in phoenix and vegas and the bay area and then we're in portland we're in denver we're in <laughs> portland Houston. you know what i'm saying <laughs> then we're in you know um you know, salt lake city and yeah st louis and and it just started to just grow you know but the reaction initially at least from outside was well these guys are going after the police you can't do that yeah you know and you had that and it it seemed like it took a while for people to actually listen to what you what not just your group but other yeah. other people were singing about like what the genesis of that stuff was yeah it was shocking you know at at at, at the time because you know before us Rodney King um, any of that stuff, you know, police could do no wrong. I yeah. mean, if if a cop got on the stand, pointed you out, you going to jail, man. I mean, it's like nobody ever questioned the cops' motives, right? And you know, so we do our song, and now and then Ice T with Cop Killer, you know, uh, these two songs are powerful. And they're right behind each other. And, you know, at first it's outrage. Then you see Rodney King. Now the movie is starting to come into focus. Do you regret, uh, is there anything, if you could do that side of it differently and push the same attention toward what you guys are talking about without being as outrageous with the song? Do you think that would have been more beneficial or not? Nah, I don't think so because the song was, you know, <laughs> I mean, therapy. Yeah, yeah. For us, it was like, 
you know, you couldn't do nothing physically to the police. You know, that was just not even in our thought process. But this song was like our weapon, you know. It was like our way to, you know, protest what was happening and not be nice about it. I loved your movie, and I thought how they set up that song was my favorite part of the movie. Yeah. Because you could, you could actually feel it. It's like, this is, these are the moments that led to this song. And, and, and here's why you was able to feel it, because, you know, you realize what the police don't, or what the police don't take time to realize is that, you know, you're basically dealing with some good dudes. You're not dealing with <laughs> that criminal element that you don't mind the police deal with in that yeah. way. You see what I'm saying? So that's what makes you say, man, come on. You know, these dudes is trying to make it out. You know, leave them alone. You know what I'm saying? That's the that's the feeling you have. Um, and, you know, that's kind of how we were. You know, even Easy, you know, doing what he was doing, he was basically trying to get out of that. This was his way out was music uh, because he didn't want to do that no more. Yeah. Because um, he knew it was a dead end. And so that's what makes you, that's what pisses you off, man, about the police. You know what I mean? It's like you see a dude going to a church, you know, shoot up people. And they walk him out in a in a damn bulletproof vest and don't want nobody to touch him. But then... They go beat up some 18-year-old kid mouthing off at the beach. You know what I mean? They want to rough him up and, you know, teach him a lesson. It's like, dude, use that energy on the guy y'all putting in the bulletproof vest. Kick somebody ass. Kick somebody ass that you know who did it, who deserve it, who's a criminal. You know, not some kid mouthing off at you or, you know. So that's the problem. It's like. You know, it becomes, you know, a bully mentality and not just, you know, trying to take the bad guys off the street, teach them a lesson. You know, it's like you're teaching everybody a lesson that you run across. How do you I mean, obviously, you're not talking about every policeman because we have great policemen, too. Right? Of course. So you're talking about I'm talking a couple about the- of the people that spoil it for everybody. How do you reconcile that when you meet? A good policeman, somebody who's does their job well and has done everything right, and he meets you and he's like, "You're you're the guy who was in that group who had that song." Yeah, they usually love me. You know, they <laughs> usually want to take pictures. You know, even if I do the song, they'll they'll want to take pictures backstage because, you know, it is a it is a good cop bad cop uh, phenomenon out yeah. there, and you know what we would love for the good cops to do. Is point out these bad apples, man. Get them off the force. Yeah. So you guys can get your respect back from the community. Right. Because the community understands the necessity of the police and why they need to be there. They love them, the fact that they're there. What they don't love is the abuse. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, you know. And you think for, like, the Rodney King was the one that became infamous, but... I mean, you was go, that once a week? Man, that's <laughs> every day somewhere. 
every day somewhere. Yeah. So that's what's sad is because, I mean, I've seen this coming up, you know, just how the police deal with with people in our neighborhoods and in our communities is just too heavy-handed. Yeah. Too heavy-handed. And um, how do you keep your attachment to those neighborhoods? Because you've had so much success over the last 30 years, you know, and it, it, it does seem like one of the ironies of somebody like you or Dre or Kendrick, anybody is they hit a certain point and now they've kind of, they're able to move out. They're yeah. able to go in another neighborhood. Mm-hmm. The stuff they're singing about, writing about isn't the same stuff that would connect with somebody who's 18 years old living in the worst part of LA. Mm-hmm. How do you reconcile all that? Well, you know, most of us are the most successful people in our generation yeah and in our family so everything that connects us to family is usually still in the neighborhood you know except our immediate you know my your mom out dad out brother sister might help out but for the most part you know all of our loved ones are still in it and you know so if if you're not a person who's trying to fly away you know uh you stay connected and you know now you feel at least I do I feel like I need to speak for people who can't speak for themselves yeah so you know my ears to the street a little more just to be able to make sure that I can you know take some pain you know and 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 hopefully you know help the world to understand what what we go through you know, uh, and that's what it's all about. You know, and that's what's the beautiful thing about music is it it it's all understanding. It's all a way for humans to understand each other. Yeah. Behavior and 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 it's all discovery. Um, so and yet, boys that's what in the, I use it. and yet, boys in the hood, I would argue, is just as powerful, if not more. Yeah. Without right? a doubt. Yeah. I mean, what what do you think? What do you think hit more people, your music or that movie in the early 90s? Uh, man, it's hard to say because the movies are so... I, know, I still think I mean, that's the best L.A. movie. Yeah, I mean, it's a movie that really, to me, before a movie like that, you just seen people like Doughboy on the 11 o'clock news. You know, yeah. In the back of a police car, and you don't know his story. Why is he like that? You know, or you read about Ricky on some yeah Sports Illustrated profile or yeah. some uh, Sports Center Sunday night five minute piece. That's it. And you never get to f- be that fly on the wall. You know, um, when I first read it, I couldn't believe that they were gonna make a movie <laughs> about how we grew up. I'm right. like, is this movie worthy? <laughs> you know what I mean? Because when you're in it, you don't think nobody give a damn. Yeah, about you or what's happening to you or what's what what you going through on a day-to-day basis. So to see, you know, Columbia want to put money behind doing a movie about what you live every day, it was kind of was was uh I was just curious like why, you know? I I just didn't believe our story was movie worthy. You think movies are like Batman? Yeah, you know, it's like <laughs> Jaws. Yeah. Star Wars. Hoosiers. Know, like, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark. But, 
you know, to 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 be a part of it. Uh, it's just. When was the last incredible. time you watched it? Man, it's been about four years. It's incredible. It is. It's a great movie. I don't think it got nominated for an Oscar, right? Yeah, it did. Oh, it did. It did. Okay. Yeah. yeah it but nominated. it didn't win anything. Didn't win. Did he get nominated, Singleton? Yeah. yeah. What was the one? Oh, Do the Right Thing didn't get nominated. Yeah, Do the Right Thing didn't get nominated. Um, yeah, it's. I I mean it's it's certain movies are little snapshots of an era or a place or whatever. Yeah, and that's one of the best ones, without a doubt. You know. Um, and it catches everything. We had a we had a writer, Cam Collins for The Ringer, wrote a great piece about how that was pre Rodney King, mm-hmm. but kind of when you watch it now with the context of Rodney King and then even OJ after, it's just it's almost like a trilogy. Without a doubt. You could feel it. Uh I mean that, that scene with Cuba Gooden Jr. and the and the cop uh is pretty powerful. And, you know, we did that movie and this is my first movie. I remember when I... That was your first movie? First movie ever. Wow. And uh, and John showed me the movie before it was done. And, you know, if you ever see a movie before it's finished, you will say, this is garbage. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it sounds you don't hear, but you see, you know what I mean? It's just unfinished, unpolished. It's like... It's like seeing a room right after they build it, but they don't put furniture or paint. You just yeah. like, what is this shit? So that's kind of how I looked at it. I was so mad. I left. I called my manager. Oh, you thought it was like a career-destroying yeah, said, movie for you? I, I shouldn't have did this. <laughs> I shouldn't have did this. She said, was it that bad? I said, it didn't have no music in it. It wasn't no sounds. It felt flat. You know, because they don't, you know, you got to put all those sound effects in a movie. You know, when a guy is put a cup down, you have to actually put that sound in there or yeah. you won't hear it. You'll see it, but you won't hear it. And so I was just disappointed. And I didn't want to have nothing to do with Boys in the Hood. You know what I mean? And I was like, damn, mistake, mistake, mistake. And John kept saying, let me finish it. Will you let me finish it? Will you let me finish it? I said, okay. All right. All right. So I didn't see it until we went to the Cannes Film Festival. So I'm like, we gonna show this to a French audience? Did you go? Yeah, I went because as a career move, yeah, you go. But I'm like, we gonna show this to a French audience, man. For one thing, the subject matter they not gonna get what the hell right. a 64 is, and go get the 40 and all this kind of. <laughs> come on, man. And it's the movie. <laughs> It's flat. But when I saw it, it was completed. And it just blew me away. And then, so, it had subtitles, though, because it's, it was for the French. So, right. it's, it's French subtitles. So, I'm like, I love the movie, but these people probably hate this. And they just gave it a standing ovation at the oh, end. Wow. They just jumped up and clapped. And I'm like, it was crazy because Eddie Murphy was there and... And like Quincy Jones, and and that was it. You knew it was gonna blow up. I was like, "This is this is gonna blow. This is like the best thing I ever did." You were mad Doughboy wasn't gonna be around for a sequel. No, I didn't worry about it. (laughs) You know, at at the time, really. If I if I was savvy, (laughs) and I was if I was looking at Hollywood Shuffle close, which is a movie I love. Yeah, yeah. You know, 
if you die in the script, it's not a good script. <laughs> so I would have read that part and probably You're said, like, man, I got to was shot but survived. Yeah, yeah, he and shot. Now, he limping across the street. And now he's a detective in L.A. ready for a sequel. Yeah. He's turned his life around. Without yeah. a doubt. Quick break to talk about propercloth.com. Every guy knows that it's hard to find a dress shirt that fits. Maybe the collar's too tight, the sleeves are too long, the shirt's too loose. And guess what? I have some good news. Ordering a custom fit shirt has never been easier thanks to Proper Cloth. Create a custom shirt size in seconds by just answering 10 easy questions, no measuring required, over 500 fabric styles to choose from. Everything from classic business to casual shirts. All high quality starting at just $85. Proper Cloth has hundreds of five-star reviews on Google and Yelp. It's the highest rated custom shirt maker on Google. Find out why GQ calls them their favorite online custom shirt maker. Go to their easy-to-use website, make a custom profile, even order from your phone. By the way, Proper Cloth guarantees a perfect fit. Remakes are free. The Proper Cloth team makes it super easy to do. Stop wearing shirts that don't fit. Look your best. Go to propercloth.com slash BS. Enter gift code BS and you will save $20 on your first shirt. Again, propercloth.com slash BS. Gift code BS. And since we're here, let's also talk to you about CreditWise from Capital One. You know what? Numbers are great. Whip. War, P-E-R, but on their own, they don't tell the whole story. Credit isn't any different. With credit, it's all about how well you perform against the factors that go into a credit score. Let's break it down. How good are you at paying your bills on time? How much credit do you have spread across different accounts? How long have those accounts been open? All these factors impact your credit health, and since there is no one single score that lenders use, knowing these factors are key. Just like on the field, there is a lot more to your credit than just knowing your score. CreditWise lets you track the factors that make up your credit health using information from your TransUnion credit report. The app can help you spot errors or identify theft. It lays out information you need to understand your behaviors and how they impact your credit health. I can't wait to give this to my daughter in nine years. Plus, you can check it anytime without negatively impacting your credit. And the best part, it's 100% free for everybody. Whether you're a Capital One customer or not, step up your game. Download CreditWise today. Back to Ice Cube. And straight out of Compton, one of the things that was, I really like that movie. I'd, I've seen it a bunch of times. And it's it's past the HBO test for me where if it's on like about, I don't know, 30 minutes, you be like, oh, the Detroit scene's coming up. Yeah, I'm sticking like around. You stick around yeah. for a half hour. Oh, Detroit's coming. That's cool. Uh, the Detroit scene's incredible. Yes. Just flat out amazing. But uh, I think the most amazing thing about that movie, as far as you're concerned, is is the actor who plays Ice Cube. Yeah. I, I don't understand how that happened. This, this should have gone terribly. There's no <laughs> way this should have worked. This mm. should have been a disaster. Mm -hmm. And it was the opposite. Mm. It was like you CGI'd yourself. It's crazy. It could have went all bad. And it he's was, a good actor. Yeah. The guy, I mean, I wouldn't have put him in the movie if I didn't think he could do it. I mean, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have ruined his life like that. Right. Because, you know, you go from being just my son, cool kid spending my money, you know what I'm saying, <laughs> to this pariah on social media of, yeah keep your day job and just stay his son. You know what I mean? It's like, 
it could have went all bad. It was it was definitely walking on the tightrope. You had you had three roles where the actors had to be good and had to make me think that they were you guys. Yes. And you went three for three. I would say that over under would have been one and a half. Yes. If any of the three don't work, the movie doesn't work as well. I agree. If two of them doesn't work, I don't even you barely get released. I agree. And, and then you went three for three. It's incredible. Yeah, man. You know, it's uh, it it was, you know, we say we was on a mission from God. You how know how many years did that take? It took about four to, you know, because it, it it moved from one studio to another. Yeah. Um, and was it easy it to get all the music? Writers. Huh? Was it easy to get all the music for you guys? Um, because it's a little spread around, right? Easier, yeah. Tamika, which is Easy's uh, widow, she you know was a producer, so she controls the the music, and um, but the music has a lot of samples in it, so it, it took layers of of uh, you know convincing on some levels. How how accurate was the scene when you guys are teaching Easy how to? Had a uh, had a rap and he can't do it. He can't do it, and then all of a sudden it kicks in. Was that? I mean, uh, when you're doing something like that, are you exaggerating here, or is that relatively what happened? Well, it. I mean, you you have to you have to put together summaries. Yeah, you know what I mean. Little so, compilations of what happened. Yeah, of because where something would take a week, and a whole lot of stuff would happen in a week. You know, you might have three scenes to pull this off. So sometimes you have to summarize some of the things that happened to get the whole picture of what right. really happened. So he wasn't good right away. And no, then it took eventually... him about two days to get it. I mean, um, and, you know, they had times, it wasn't like 48 hours, but they blocked off with six hours at a time each day. And it took about two days to really get it where Dre would play it for us. It's also interesting to me how so many different bands have hit the exact same beats with their studio or their manager or whatever, where they're just getting ripped off and they don't realize it yet. And it doesn't matter. You could be the Backstreet Boys. Mm-hmm. You could be you guys. You could be anybody. Yeah. And it still hits those same beats where at some point somebody goes, hey, wait a second. Yeah. Whoa, why is that guy eating lobster? Yeah. <laughs> we got fat burger. <laughs> what, what's happening right now? And yeah. then you just, then the light bulb goes off and then it becomes a scramble. Yeah, because what happens, you know, is usually... Some, you know, uh, well, you guys are so mantis kind of guy, you know, waiting for talent in the wings, and he knows all the tricks of the trade, yeah. And you don't know shit, but you guys are just happy that anybody's listening to you, yeah. Want to get on the radio? Oh my god, I'm on the radio, get on the radio, want to get a video on. That's all you want, and so you have these guys who. Just wait, like like I said, like a prey mantis or a fucking Venus flytrap or something. Just as soon as the right person land, zit. so it takes time for the novelty to wear off. Yeah. It takes time, you know. When you hear your song twenty five times on the radio, it's not as exciting as the first few. So see your video a few times, do a few shows, you start to you know boom boom boom. Now. At the same time, you're creating bills bigger than you've ever seen because you've never went on tour, never shot a video. So now you're starting to see, hey, this stuff is costing a lot of money. 
okay, whose pan was coming from, and why I'm not getting paid. You know, direct got paid, this one got paid. Yeah. Oh, you're an artist. You don't get paid for a video. You only pay. You're like so worse than boxers. Your head. Yeah. You're like, wait a minute. How's that? How is everybody get paid off a video but the artist? You know, so then you start the antennas go up. Like, what? When, what is this? This can't be right. It's got to be every uh, horror story I've ever heard since Otis Redding or something. You know, you're like, uh-uh, something ain't right. So now antennas up. You're looking. You're searching. And it takes somebody smart to wa- see you. Somebody, you to ask the right question or them, them to ask you the right question. And then they start to say, well, did you do this? Did you sign this? What about publishing? And you're like, what is publishing? And you uh. start to, you know, and and if you sign too many things before you figure it out, then you're stuck and you're fighting and feuding with the label and the manager and the, all the people who've taken advantage before you realize that there was business in show business. It's like music and boxing. Yeah. Those are the two where you sign three things wrong early and you're just screwed. Like Ali had like no money by the time he stopped boxing. Yeah, it's crazy. Everybody was just, hey, here, Ali, oh, I'll take your, oh, and then there's none left for Ali. Yeah, that's how it is. And it's a trip because when I got in the movie industry, you know, and they're like, yeah, we're going to pay you this and you your check is coming and you'll get it Friday. I'm like, Pfft. get ready to chase these people now for my money. Right. I'm telling my team, get ready to chase these people now. And they pay you on time. And you're like, what the hell's oh, this run? This is weird. You're going to the bank now. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Drop everything, go to the bank now. You put it in and it clear. And you're like, damn. And they give you another check the next week. And it clear, damn, no problems, no issues. You're like, music business full of damn crooks. What's your biggest mm. regret other than not realizing that you shouldn't have signed certain things from that five-year stretch? What was the one thing you would have done differently? Well, what's cool is I didn't. That's how I was able to leave. Oh, yeah, you're right. I what didn't am I thinking? Sign. And what it was was because I had a publicist. NWA had a publicist that worked for Priority Records. And her name was Pat Charbonnet. And she went, you know, one day, see, I was the only one that would really show up to do the promo stuff. Yeah. You know, like I came here, I was on time, right? Yeah. Okay. If it was easy, Dre, Ren, and Yella, we'd get calls saying, let Cube do it, he there. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. So by that happening a lot, me and Pat, you know, we started talking. And Pat never trusted Jerry Heller. She knew about yeah. it. She was like, what you know about this dude? Nothing. This is easy guy. She's like, you need a lawyer. You need somebody. Don't sign nothing. He put in front of you. You know. So it was cool. You know. Well, you know, what I wish I could have did was show that in the movie. But we couldn't go that. We couldn't really go there. And kind of open them can of worms, but it yeah, was, you had some legality things that you had to be careful with, right? Yeah, without yeah. a doubt. You know, it was it was one of the hardest things I've done. You know, besides this big three thing. Yeah, but it was just a hard movie because it was so many moving parts. 
so many egos, attitudes of I wouldn't say egos and attitudes because it was no. Let's say it. it, it no, no, because <laughs> that really didn't come into play. Yeah, as much as you know, why are we showing that and not this, and why are we showing this and not that, and and this don't make sense. And I'm like, you know, just teaching people how to make a movie, and you know, I'm like it's not a documentary; it's a movie. It has to be told in a certain way, or or it unravels. So. My only, my only nitpick as as uh, somebody who loves this stuff and is a little bit of a historian with it, the easy getting back together and being a little bit buddy buddy with everybody at the end that was seemed a little exaggerated. No, it wasn't that tiny bit. Now, no, I mean, no, it wasn't the stuff Dre, Dre and Snoop said in the chronic about. Easy was not nice. I mean, after no Vaseline, that was not. That was not <laughs> after no Vaseline. Me and him buried. But it was that. That was right after that. Yeah. Though, it right? was, it was, now, give give me the give me the timeline. The timeline is, I left the group in '89. Yeah. You know, by '94, '95, you know, I Everybody was, was good. I had buried any hatchets because my career was. A dream, you know, it was going the way I wanted it to go. And you wrote no Vaseline, so you had the last word. Yeah, yeah. So I, I didn't have any. <laughs> you more won the diss track animosity, <laughs> and they were feuding against each other. Yeah. So, you know, when I when I saw him, and I hadn't seen him for years, but I saw him in the tunnel, and that's in the movie, and he was like, "Yo, you know, it was like old times again. It wasn't the animosity that I thought was going to be there. It wasn't that." You know, hatred. It was like we was back in eight, you know eighty eight, trying to get. Famous. I just wasn't buying that Dre was ever getting I, back. I don't know about that part. Yeah, because here's see, I when I left the group, I didn't know what was going on either. So yeah, this and movie was a lot of discovery for me too, because in putting the movie together and interviewing Ren and Yella and all the people that was there. I'm learning stuff that I was never privy to because they weren't talking cool. to me. So I felt like, yo, if I'm discovering shit, you know, everybody should be able to. You know what I'm saying? Everybody yeah. will discover something out of this movie. So, you know, did it happen like that? Dre said it did. So I can only go by Dre. Now, is Dre saying that because he's gone? And I don't I See, that's I, right. I don't, I, I don't totally. I, don't I think it was. I think it was a nice version of what happened. Yeah. Would be my guess. Yeah. I don't think I don't think Dre was ever like, yeah, it'd be great to work together again. I think he was good at that point. That'd be my guess. I don't know. Dre is, uh, you know, he's one of those dudes who work off inspiration. Mm. So if he was so inspired that day, right. he might have had a conversation. Wait, so anytime they do the diss track uh, tournament, it's always no Vaseline and hit him up in the finals. Yeah, I'm proud of that. I. I don't know who's favored. It's almost like Warriors Cavs in 2017. I Mine think you were first. Better. Yeah, you were first. Mine is better. <laughs> Here's why. <laughs> okay. We were in the same group, so it's it's more personal. Oh, they that's were just friends. What do you think, Tommy? Definitely. No best the best by far. All right, Tommy says. I don't know, hit him up. It's an ugly diss song. I mean, it's 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 vicious. Did in no Vaseline? Did you ever?
brag about having sex with uh, somebody that Dre had maybe, or Easy had had uh, had been with, or dated? No, no. I'm just I'm trying to break it down in my head mentally. Yeah. I think you're favored in the finals. I mean, we, you were first. Yeah. It no was the, it was like the first big ass one of its kind. I don't know. I have to I have to think about it some more. Okay. When when Tupac did it, did you feel like, hey, that's that's my corner. I invented this. Nah, I mean Tupac's was banging, but my loop is better too. I mean, using that Daz, man, brick. Oh, come on now. It's a very Cinder good scene Fella? in the movie too. Oh my god. You know what I mean? It's like. Nah, nah, you got to give it up to Pac. You know, he one of the best that ever picked up a mic. But um, if he was here, I'd still tell him. Can't fade no Vaseline. Who do you have Because no Vaseline has a big intro on it that they never play. It's, it's, a, it's a whole, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's damn near a theme ride. <laughs> you know what I mean? Who do you have in Pac versus Biggie, which is the bird versus magic of, oh, of hip hop? Depends, you know. No, Nate, that that's not you can't answer depends. You have to pick. It depends. Okay. You know, if if I'm talking about on stage passion, MC from the heart, that's Tupac. If I'm just talking about lyrical gymnastics, that's Biggie. So if you wanted to write songs with somebody for two days, you'd pick Pac. I'd pick Pac. If you're on, if if you're at In and Out Burger sitting outside with somebody, and you're like, "Hey, entertain us for 15 minutes and just come up with some rhymes," that's Biggie. I think on the cuff, he's got to yeah. be the choice for that. Yeah, yeah. I think you know Biggie probably could freestyle better than Pac, but Pac he, got the passion, and I'm a passion rapper. I'm not I'm a, just. I'm a, a Pac guy. But I'm just a lot not of a word dudes Smith. out there. Yeah, you know what I mean. You got to have some passion behind it. I'm I'm on the Pac side. Pac's my Larry Bird in this. I guess he's <laughs> your magic in this one. Yeah. I had one more music question. If you would trademark triple double after you sang about it in that song, mm-hmm. hey, first of all, triple double it started like in the in the early '80s, basically with Magic's PR guy, and then yeah. it became kind of a known basketball thing, but not really. Then you did it in the song. I felt like it went went to another level. Mm-hmm. If you trademarked it, I think I think it would have worked. I think you could have trademarked it from that song. Then every how, time how somebody said triple double, how you would get... gotten paid. Uh, yeah, <laughs> probably so. Is yeah, that the is that the lyric you get that people bring up the most? Yeah, thing? people be Has like, it, right. Yeah, I get that a lot. You know, on my Twitter feed and everything, man. How do you? How did you? measure a triple double in a pickup game it's the, it's one of the unsolvable questions the game would have to go to at least 30 well, by one yeah i mean you know or 20 I, and i keep a statistician with me <laughs> yeah you know i mean when you get paid you can do that <laughs> all right let's talk about big three. Oh yeah yeah i'm excited how many years in the making was this a year maybe okay. a little more your idea uh as a fan i, I came up with you know, a great concept, but when it comes to full blown idea, you know, I gotta have, you know, I gotta give credit to Jeff Quantinance, my 
longtime manager, business partner, and Roger Mason Jr., who's ah. um, my, our commissioner. Yeah. And, um, you know, he was the number two at the PA for a while. You know, we, we brainstormed and basically, you know, came up with all the rules and the, and the, and the you know, concept and what the league should look, act, and feel like. So it's been a year in the making. How many teams? Eight teams. Five players per team. All play on the same day in the same arena. So you'll you'll see 48 of your favorite stars because our coaches are Hall of Famers and guys that's been in the league like Dr. J and Iceman and Clyde the Glide and Rick Mahorn. Does the NBA like that this is happening? Uh, I don't know. You know, uh, I told him that David Stern should have probably thought of this 30 years ago um, for players. I think they were intrigued by the Legends thing because I remember the first couple All-Star weekends they had it. And somebody got hurt in the second game. I can't Mm -hmm. remember. I think like three people got hurt. Mm -hmm. And then that was it. They never had another one. Yeah. I was always intrigued by it. I think it's going to be fun. Because you see it with uh, retired tennis players play all the yeah. time. Like and Borg and McEnroe are probably playing right now somewhere in Dubai for a paycheck. Yeah, why not? You know, I think it's I think it's a great concept. It's definitely going to be fun. I think, you know, and I, and I know our guys are going to play harder than McEnroe and, <laughs> right. and them dudes. You know, our guys are still hungry. And they still, in the three-on-three half-court setting, these dudes are ferocious. And this game is fast. You know, we got a 14-second shot clock. And, man, once you clear that ball, you got to go. So it's shorter court? Half court. Half court. Half court, three on three. Where do you have to clear it? You have to clear behind the three-point line. Okay. So, you know, the three-point line goes all the way around the key. and you Is there drug the testing side. or drugs encouraged? <laughs> No drug testing, no drugs and <laughs> no drug testing. That should be part of your part of yourself. Hey, you know, we'll we'll grow. I mean, we got to get people, you know, to see how cool and fun. You yeah. know, after seeing a few games and seeing how hard they go, and to be honest, it's hard to play a bad three on three basketball game. Yeah, it's actually a fun game to watch and play. So we just feel like people got to put eyes on this, and once they see it. They they gonna they gonna want more. In 2012, I was at the Olympics, and it drove me crazy that we only had one basketball event, and yet volleyball had volleyball and beach volleyball. Yeah, it's like how the fuck does volleyball have two more, twice as many events as basketball? Exactly. And and I was saying they should have a three on three Olympic basketball. That should be an event. And That's it's actually- like we could have the amateurs play in the team event, and then the three on three will just be like LeBron, Kyrie, and whatever. I'm really excited to see how this goes because I'm with you. I love three-on-three. Three-on-three is the purest form of basketball. Yeah, and it's the most played form of team basketball. You know, everybody, you know, when they go play, you you expect to get a three-on-three game. You know, you you rarely expect to get a full-court five-on-five game. So, to me, I think it's just been sitting there waiting for a pro league. And what's cool, you talk about the Olympics. In 2020, they're considering – making it an actual Olympic game. Three-on-three? Three three. Three? Yeah. Seriously. So, because in Asia, three-on-three three in China, it, it, it sells out stadiums where where uh, full court only sells out arenas. So, it's a big, big uh, 
untapped market out there. And we felt like our players, you know, have marquee names. They so still, you're using all ex-NBA players, right? All ex-NBA players. Okay. You have to be at least 30 and over. Uh, and you've had to, had to play in the NBA. Um, Is there – have you had to play in the NBA for like a year, two years, or it just doesn't matter? It could be 10 days? It doesn't matter because we have a combine and a draft, so – if the guys want you, you know, they're going to pick you. Gotcha. You know, uh, so if they don't want you, you're not going to get picked. And, you know, we had our draft in Las Vegas. We had a combine. And, you know, some guys that I, I was hoping that got picked, but they just didn't get drafted. Who is the biggest name, Iverson? Iverson. And then we got Chauncey Billups. We got White Chocolate. You know, that's going to be fun. But White Chocolate's still good. Oh, I've yeah. seen YouTube clips of him, like, in the last year where he still looked like White Chocolate. A lot of these guys, man, when you see them play half-court three-on-three, it's no drop-off than what you used to seeing them playing full-court 82 games in the NBA. You couldn't get Shaq in shape for this? I think I think some guys are going to sit back and watch for a year. Yeah. But I think some guys are getting in shape. You know, I saw Shaq playing – you know, He's got he, that fucked up big toe I saw. Man, but yeah. That yeah. thing is, that, that that thing thing right is like pointing at a red angle and it's man, four times need the to size. Put that, Jesus. When he died, they're going to put his foot in the museum. It's unbelievable. Yeah. So, but I still think in the three on three half court setting, he'd be a beast if he if he uh, dropped a, a few LBs, you know. So how many songs do you have to write to challenge Jordan's manhood before he before he decides to be in this, uh, like Jordan, I would say, a whole album. No, Jordan said. Uh, he said, "Man, uh, this is what he told my man Roger. Man, I love it, but I'm an owner. I can't play. So he was even oh. thinking about it. Well, he's the most competitive basketball player of all time. He yeah. at least had to size it up like the Terminator. Yeah, he is. I know he could do it if he wanted to. I wonder if this would be like the senior tour where, in senior tour in golf, you hit fifty. It's like the guys who are 50, 51, 52 of the have the most impact. Mm -hmm. So in this, I wonder if it's the guys that are one, two, three years out of the league that will be the best equipped. Probably so. And, you know, we feel like it's going to grow and we feel like we're going to attract, you know, players that are, you know, fresh out the league, you know, um, like, you know, we still got, you know, dream people in our head, like the KGs and the Paul Pierce's of the world. We think they're going to take a look at us hopefully this year and say, you know what? I got the itch. I'm ready to play. Well, Paul Pierce has that old man pickup game. He could probably be in this thing for 25 years. Without a doubt. You know, they can definitely come in into this jerky. league and, and uh, prolong. You could wheel him out in a wheelchair each, for each game. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think he need that. You know, uh, but, you know, to me, it's, it's going to be fun just to see these guys battling again. You know, that's what it's all about is, is having fun in the summer. How are you doing the team names? Uh, we picked the names. You know, we got we got the three-headed monsters. We got uh, Trilogy. Yeah. Uh, Killer Threes. We got the Ball Hogs. We got Ghost Ballers. Uh, Threes Company. Tri-State. You know, so we got a few. So, that, so in two years, that'll be Miller Lite. Patron, <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, you know, Adidas. We, we got room for a patch if any of the sponsors want to <laughs> want to jump on into this. But we feel like, you know, this year it's all about you know a lot of people are curious, uh, but we we setting the stage to be able to be around for year after year. 
How long do the games go to? Is there a time limit or no. is there a score? You go to 60. First to 60 win. First to 60. I like yeah, it. Half time at 30. Okay. You know, you have a brief little. Twos five, and threes, obviously. Twos, threes, and fours. We got a four point circle. Okay. So it's cool. We got three four point circles. And uh, it's a 30 foot shot. Guys hitting them twenty five percent of the time. And where and where where do we see these games? Oh, you gonna see them on FS One, uh, Monday Night Basketball. You know this summer. Nice. Yeah, when does yeah. that start? That starts uh, June twenty sixth. Our first game is June twenty fifth in in Brooklyn, and games air the next day on FS One. Are you the commissioner? No. Oh, just Ro- a founder. Roger Mason is commissioner? Yeah, Roger Mason Jr. So you're founder. Yeah. So you're like the James Naismith of three ball. <laughs> no. No, he's an inventor. <laughs> I'm just, the, uh, uh, I guess, uh, the Colonel Sanders of Colonel Sanders. I'm, I'm, I'm just capitalizing. I'm really excited to see how this a, a plays great out. Thing. Yeah, me too, man. It's going to be fun. How uh, many Celtics? Uh, we got Scalabrini. He's, uh, he's, you know, so we got the. The white mamba. Yeah. He's a... He's, he's, he'll be he's, a good ambassador, too. He's funny. He's become a really important uh, media guy in Boston, too. He's good at it. He's yeah, good and at he plays stuff. for the Ball Hogs, which, yeah. you know, their colors are, are green and white and gold. So, I, I think, you know, the Boston fans are, are find a, a nice little synergy there. Well, if you get KG, I, I think you'd find even more synergy. Yeah, start I mean, we, him K, too. we want KG... You know, K- we want KG Paul and Rondo. My God, let's bring them back know, together. Let's do it. You know, we want Tim Perk, Duncan. Perk we know you're out the there bored. You know, Tim, you you know you tired of swimming. Come on, <laughs> come on and play for the big three. <laughs> Tim's definitely not listening to this. Yeah, I don't yeah. even think Tim knows what the Somebody internet is. Tim. Yeah, somebody Tim. know where Tim is. Just <laughs> catching me. He probably climbing a banana tree. You know what I mean? Somewhere in the Bahamas. Yeah. So. Tell Tim what the tell internet Tim is and tell doing. him what a podcast is and then yeah. he'll listen to this. Well, I'm excited. The big three, June 25th or June 26th? 20, June 25th, we play Barclays. But yeah. we're going to be all over the country. So you should go to big3.com if you want tickets. Ticketmaster, like I said, we got 48 of your favorite players coming into one arena. You know, four games, one ticket. It's, that's, a, it's that's, a fun, that's a good idea. fun day. And uh, we'll be here at the Staples Center. All right. And uh, you got to come check us out. I will. I promise you I'll be there. Yeah, for sure. And then you're on iTunes. Yeah, definitely. Your, mo- your movie's on HBO seven hours a day on one of the seven different things. Pretty and, much. Yeah. What else? Anything? Triple X 2? I saw it on uh, an airplane. I thought it was good. What? Triple I, li- I like the second Triple X movie. You yeah, made a little cool. appearance at the end. It was pretty cool. Uh, I really... I, I'm a Triple X fan. Yeah, they, I'm a supporter great of the franchise. They're great movies, man. Yeah. I mean, great action. I like that over-the-top action, too, when it's done well. Yeah, yeah, All right. Ice Cube, thank you. Hey, man, thanks for having me, Bill. All right, that's it for the BS Podcast. Thanks to Capital One. They created the CreditWise app, so you can check your credit score anytime you want right in the app. It's free to everyone, so download CreditWise today. Availability depends on presence of credit history from TransUnion. CreditWise is offered by Capital One Bank, USA, and .adot. And thanks again to Proper Cloth. Finding a dress shirt that fits is hard. Ordering a custom fit shirt has never been easier thanks to Proper Cloth. Their custom shirts start from $85. High-quality shirts made from premium Italian and Japanese fabrics. 
They even guarantee a perfect fit. Remakes are free. Stop wearing shirts that don't fit. Start looking your best. Go to propercloth.com slash BS. Enter gift code BS to save $20 on your first shirt. Don't forget to go to theringer.com for all of our NBA finals. Previews, stories, features, all that stuff. Roger Sherman's Bachelorette recap, which is fantastic. And all the other great stuff we have on The Ringer. Don't forget about Larry Wilmar's new podcast, Cousin Sal's new podcast, and all of our other great podcasts, including The Ringer NBA Show, which has a big breakdown of, uh, of the finals. And also GM Street on the, NF- on the Ringer NFL Show with Tate and Mike Lombardi. All of those on our network. You can find them on TheRinger.com. We'll be back on Friday with another BS podcast. Until then. <laughs>